0: amen thank you please be seated great to see you this morning good to have you with us here in the lord's house we appreciate the good singing today and uh thank you so much to our praise team for that also welcome to those tuning in from the house this morning uh we appreciate you joining us if you're online as well uh we thank you for for being here today uh we started a little series uh, a few weeks ago, in, in and I want to today, I wonder how many of you sitting here this morning, um, Sugar was talking a little bit about this uh, in her comments at the beginning, but I wonder how many of you, you're worried right now. Do you know that according to the World Health Organization, listen to this for a moment, According to the WHO, the World Health Organization, Americans have a bigger problem with worry than any other people in the world. Can you imagine for a moment the most affluent, wealthy society in the world is also the most worry-filled society? Does that make any sense? I was um, yesterday, my my son and I, as we've been doing for many years, we go to breakfast on Saturday morning. And while we're driving there, I I said to him, I said, Son, you know, it's amazing. When I first came to America, you know, 28 years ago, I said, Man, I had nothing. I really had nothing. And and, uh, I said, The biggest treat for me. Was once a week, at the end of the week, when I'd worked at the end of the week, I'd treat myself and go to Burger King and get get a Whopper combo. I mean, that was like that was a royal treat for me to be able to do that once a month. I mean, if you if you say to our kids now, you want to go to Burger King, they look at you like, how are you gonna insult me like that? For me, that was the biggest treat I, I, I could have. And and here's the thing, I had nothing back in those days, right? Nothing. But but you know what? I, I realized something. Back then, I never lost any sleep over not having anything. I just knew that God had called me to this and God was gonna provide. But you know what? As I've been here over the years and as I've accumulated more stuff, and as I now have more than I've ever had, I find myself worrying a lot more than I used to when I had nothing. Anybody, can you feel that this morning? Isn't it interesting that the more we get, the more we start to worry about the stuff that we we have? And so here in America, we've got this chronic, ongoing, ever-present sense of worry. And here's the problem, guys, for us as believers. It's poisoning our peace. And it's killing our joy. And it's stunting our spiritual growth. In fact, according to Barna Research, a Christian research company, about 60% of adults in the United States struggle with worry and stress daily. Over half. In fact, if you're sitting here this morning, if you're in the normal percentages, that means that half of you Right now, you're going to find yourself struggling to focus on this message today. Why? Because you've got some weight, some burden, some concern, somebody that you love, something that you want to change, and it's at the front of your mind, always present, and so you're constantly living in a state of worry. Why is it that so many of ourselves are battling with this issue? I want to try to unpack that a little bit today, but I'll tell you that at its core, it's because of our sin nature. (laughs) Because we were born sinners. So what we tend to do is we default towards fear instead of towards faith. Let me just prove this to you for a moment. If some of you like me, you you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, I can almost promise you that when you wake up at 2 o'clock, it's not because you're trying to figure out how to manage all of the peace and joy in your life. You with me? Right? If you're awake at 2 a.m., of course, unless you're Charlie McNair, then you're, you know, thinking about biblical questions, you know, like why did God create mosquitoes and stuff like that. But for the rest of us, right, you're probably worried about your kids You worried about some health issue for yourself, or somebody you love. You worried about job stress. You worried about how am I going to take care of my parents as they're getting older. You worried about maybe the big things. I mean, we've all seen in the media this weekend just the the firestorm that's been created in Memphis and spread across our country. We're hearing about bombings in Israel and all of the Middle East tension that's there. We're hearing about what's happening in the Ukraine. And so we worry about terrorism and racism and division and the price of eggs too. <laughs> right? I mean, we've just got all this stuff that that we're worried about. We live in a culture where it's almost an accepted part of life. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying... Wait a minute, Pastor Tim, you talked about anxiety a couple of weeks ago. Are we going back to that subject today? No, let me just tell you, and we don't have time to unpack this today. Really, anxiety and worry are two different things. I'm going to invite you if you want to, because I'm not going to unpack that. Go to Google and look up what the difference between worry and anxiety is. What I will tell you is that the Bible addresses both. The Bible talks about anxiety and what to do with it, but the Bible also says that many of us have an affliction called worry, and it also deals with how we handle this thing that can sap our joy and our peace and can cause mental health problems for us. So we want to look today at a passage many of you are familiar with, but I want to come back to Matthew chapter 6, just a a great passage of Scripture. And let's be reminded again, I think all of us need to be reminded of this frequently. And so in Matthew chapter 6, now before we get there, I'm going to just tell you, here's the cool thing about this passage. In a very short passage, Jesus actually deals with just about everything that worries us. As an example, we're going to see in, in just a moment... He covers the five biggest topics that most of us worry about. The first one he's going to deal with is finances, our money. The second one he's going to to deal with is our food, what we eat. The third is about our fitness or our health. The fourth is going to deal with the fashion or what we wear. And the fifth is going to deal with the future. Right? What we worry about. So look at that. Finances, food, fitness, fashion, and future. Guys, I just want you to know, preachers get extra bonus points when you have, have points with the same letter. Okay? So it's just, you know, that, that's, that takes a lot of skill there. I'm just letting you all know that. But here's what he's going to say. If you look in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, we're going to start there this morning. Jesus says this, therefore, I tell you, now wait a minute, let's stop right there, because um, Pastor Mike's going to be upset with me if I don't do this, okay? Remember, when you're studying Scripture and you come to a verse and it says, therefore, you've got to ask what? Right, you say, what is the therefore, therefore? What it's referring to is he's saying, I'm about to make a point after what I just said before this. And right before this, in chapter 20 or verse 24, Jesus says, You cannot serve God and money. Okay? So, because he's saying, If you serve God, money does not become an issue, right? Money is not your concern. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Number one, what you will eat or drink. There's the food. Okay? Now, remember, Jesus most of the time ministered to an agrarian culture where they were very poor, and a lot of the people that he would minister to would be wondering where their food was going to come from. What are we going to eat? In our culture, we've got a very different problem with food, right? We don't worry about where it's going to come from or what we're going to eat. We worry about where we're going to eat. And we argue with each other about, well, I want to eat there. No, yeah, I want to eat there. And then when we eat there, we worry about, have we eaten too much? Or have we eaten too much of the wrong thing, right? So we got different food problems to what they had in the first. But nevertheless, it deals with that. Second, he says, or worry about your body. There's your health, okay, your fitness. He's saying, we're not going to worry... He's not saying don't care about your health. He's saying don't worry about your health. You need to be more concerned about your soul because your body is temporary. Your soul is eternal. And then he says about what you will wear. Fashion, right? We all concern ourselves with with what we're going to wear. Some of you need to concern yourself with that a little more. Some a little less. Some a lot less. In fact, I heard somebody say this this other week. They said, if some of us spent more time seeking God than we do worrying about what we're going to wear, it would change the entire trajectory of our lives. Can I say that again? The amount of time you spend worrying about fashion and what you look like if you spent that same amount of time seeking God, it would change the entire trajectory of your life. I believe that. So he deals with those things, and then he says, "Look, is, is your life not more important than food, and the body more important than clothes?" So he deals across the board there, all five things. right? And in verse 34, he then also deals with the future. Look at this for a moment. If you'll jump to verse 34 for us. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Don't freak out, he's saying, about things you can't control. Obsess about the future. Where are you going to go to school? Are you going to get the perfect job Who are you going to be with? Don't worry if a loved one's going to get sick or just obsess about the fact that your hair might be getting thin. Jesus says, don't worry. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just tell us what to do, but he gets very practical, and then he shows us how not to worry. Look at what he says to do. Go back for me, Kelly, if you would, to verse 26. He's saying, here's how I'm going to tell you how not to do it. Verse 26, he comes to this. He's saying, look, okay? He's going to make the argument here. He's saying, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Do you notice, uh, one thing I love about the the biblical writers and Jesus himself, he always takes us back to nature. He always takes us back to the animal kingdom and says, watch, observe, look at the animals. And he's saying when it comes to the birds, watch what they're doing here. Now, now, Now to be clear, if a bird's hungry, does a bird do something about that? I want to illustrate for you a very important difference between concern and worry, okay? Because a bird shows us the difference. Concern focuses on challenges and moves you to action. I think the Bible would make the case that Yes, we ought to be concerned about things. But that concern reveals a challenge and then forces us or moves us towards doing something. It moves us towards an action, right? So a bird, when the bird gets hungry, it doesn't worry about not having food. Its concern over hunger propels it Towards action. So, like some of you this morning, you might say, Well, my marriage is struggling. Does that cause you to lay awake at night? Do you worry about that constantly? Well, well, you ought to be concerned if your marriage is struggling, but your concern is going to drive you towards action. So you say My marriage is struggling, therefore I need to get counseling. Maybe I need to get into a life group where we can talk about our relationships. Maybe I need to start a date night with my spouse so we can work on and talk through and communicate these things, right? It's concern, yet it moves you towards action, this during COVID, I got diagnosed with diabetes. Now I can sit around and worry about that all day long and say, "Am I going to lose a limb? Am I going to this, that, that?" But no, instead, what it should do is say, "Is that a concern yes it 's a health concern, but now it must drive me towards action, which means I need to lose some weight, I need to cut down on sugary drinks, I need to step up my exercise right Our concern Drives us to action. And the Bible does, I believe, make a case for we should be concerned. But it's different. It's different to worry. Because here's what worry does. Worry focuses on what's beyond your control and results in inaction. Okay? Worry focuses on what's beyond your control And it leads to inaction. So it's stewing without doing. That's not original with me, by the way. I think Mike told me that. So that's why if you look in the very next verse, here's what Jesus says about that. Look in verse 27. He says, So who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? He's asking them this question. You worry, but has anything ever gotten better because of your worry? Has anything ever changed just because you sat there and worried about it? Jesus is saying, don't do it. It's not helpful. It doesn't change anything. When you worry, nothing gets better, but your mental health gets worse. So he's saying, go back for me, Kelly, to the last word. Birds, they don't worry. But they don't sit around doing nothing either. They don't wait for God to drop food in their laps, probably because they don't have laps. (laughs) That's another question for Charlie to think about at 2 o'clock in the morning. If a bird's hungry, what does he do? He gets up, he flies around until he sees the worm, he goes down, and he gets the worm. He eats it, and when he's full, he goes back, or she goes back to the nest that they have made. And what do they do when they get to the nest? They go to sleep. Guys, a very valuable lesson you can teach your children is take them out outside in the middle of the night and ask them, how many birds can you hear chirping? None. Why? Because they're sleeping. <laughs> right? Because the birds are not sit, pacing up and down their nests or rubbing their wings together, wondering if, if there's going to be a supply chain shortage and the worms are going to run out and they're not going to have anything to eat. The, the birds aren't doing that. They, they wake up, they get their food, they go back and they go to sleep and they rest peacefully. You know why? Because I believe. God created all animals innately to know their Creator. And by nature, they know their Creator is loving and will provide for them. Animals know that by nature. So they don't stress, they don't worry, they're not panicking about what's going to happen tomorrow. Have you ever seen a bird building a barn, worrying about what's going to happen in the next week? They have no stress over that. So essentially, I believe what Jesus is saying in this verse, if, if God loves a bird enough to feed it and provide for it, why are you worried when He loves you so much more? If a bird knows innately that, that its creator will provide for it, how is it that you, who's loved so much more than a bird, wonders and worries about that? So the question Jesus, in essence, is asking is, so when you're worrying, what you're saying is, God, I don't trust you. You're saying, God, I don't trust your plan. I don't really believe that you're with me. God, I don't really believe that you're good. That's at the heart, really, of what you're saying. Somebody said this a few years ago, and I think this is a great, a great question. They asked, What you worry the most about in your life reveals where you trust God the least. What you worry about most reveals where you trust God the least. So can I ask you to think about that for a moment? I want you to just take a moment, take a step back, and ask yourself, what is it that floods my mind? What is it that that is constantly I'm thinking about? What are the things that concern me the most? Because that's going to reveal to you where you trusting God the least? So, I'm worried about a relationship. I'm worried about my child. I'm worried about a marriage. I've got this thing on my body I'm worried about and I've got to see the doctor. I've got some kind of personal insecurity. I'm worried about whether I'm going to have enough money in retirement to have a decent life. I feel like I'm not going to be good enough. They're going to find out that I'm not as talented as I look and that I'm not as capable. I'm not ready. I don't have what it takes. Whatever it is that's flooding your mind, whatever it is that you find yourself constantly worrying about is going to reveal to you where you trust God the least. So you say, well, Pastor, yeah, I I can identify some of those things. But I get the thing about the birds, but what am I supposed to do with it? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging, does he? He shows us what to do whenever we're worried, freaked out, whenever we're panicked, whenever we don't know what to do, whenever there's too much to bear. What do you do? I want you to see this beautiful verse, Matthew 6, 33. Here, Jesus gives us the answer. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Simple. What do we do? We seek Him first see it comes back to the things we worry about is the areas we trust God the least in so doesn't it make sense that if we're going to stop worrying about those things those are the things we start to seek God in can i ask you this morning is god really first in your life is he the first thing in your day when you wake up in the morning Does your mind drift to all of the things that concern you? Or do you start to think about God and His love and grace in your life? Are you seeking Him? Does your mind drift towards the goodness of God, the presence of God, His power, His love? Do you put God first in your relationships? Are your relationships centered around the Lord in every single way? Listen, seek Him first. Seek Him first. Some of you this morning may come to the realization that maybe the reason you're so often burdened and worried is because you're not putting Him first in your life. What you worry about the most may may reveal where you trust God the least. And Jesus gives the, the answer to us. He said, seek. Seek the Father first. Make Him the number one priority. Cast your cares upon him. Why? Because like the birds know, he cares for you. And so when you seek him, your worry will begin to subside. One of the things that I've realized is... the things that burden us the most when we begin to seek the Lord, I think there's generally three things that, that happen about the things we worry about. The first thing is, the thing that you're so worried about, the chances are, it's never even going to happen. It's interesting, Penn State, they did a, They did some research on this, and you know what what they discovered? The very thing that keeps you awake, that's weighing on you so heavily, that it may never happen. So in this study that they did, they took a, a group of people, and they asked them what they were worried about. They asked them to document that, and then they said, we want you to tell us over the next 30 days whether the things that you worry about actually come to pass, whether they happen." you know what they discovered? 91% of their worries never came true. Think about that for a moment. Nine out of the ten things that they were worried about never happened. What does that tell us? That tells me that it's likely that less than 10% of what I worry about will happen, but what I do worry about will rob me of my peace 100%. Are you getting it? 90% of the stuff you worry about is never going to happen, but it's robbing you of 100% of your peace and of your joy and of the presence of God in your life. Do you know how much time you're wasting by worrying about things that are never going to happen? That's why Jesus said, seek me first. Right? Because you can't add one cubit, one minute, one second to your life by worrying. So you're wasting your time. So that's the first thing is, most of what we worry about is never actually going to happen. The second thing is, the 10% of stuff we do worry about, it, it may happen, but most of the time, it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. So it may happen. It's not going to be as bad as you thought. I, I think about when, when my, my sons were, were toddlers, and we had to take them to get shots right? I mean, if if you told them the week before, okay, next week, you got to get a shot at the doctor, they would have literally swam to Africa (laughs) to avoid getting that shot. We couldn't tell them in advance because they would, I mean, they would go into a complete meltdown. We had to promise them the world. Son, I won't just buy you uh, uh, you know, an ice cream at McDonald's, I'm going to buy the whole McDonald's for you. <laughs> right? I mean, we had to make outrageous because they were so panicked about, about going to the doctor and getting this needle in the arm. But then when they get there and, and then the nurse puts some kind of numbing cream on and the doctor's kind of making a joke with him and he gives them the shot and, and they're still laughing at the doctor and he says, okay, all done. What? When am I getting the shot? Well, I already did it. And it was nothing, right? They would have panicked and had sleepless nights worrying about the shot when it wasn't going to be nearly as bad as what they thought it would be. By the way, do you think that helped for the next shot? No, right? <laughs> but, but the reality is, I thought that's a lot of times about our lives, right? We, we worry about things that... And sometimes they do happen, maybe 10% of the time, but it's not nearly as bad as we think it's going to be. Some of us need to consider that perspective. So how much time are we worrying about about the outcome? When, When you hear me preach a sermon and say, well, you know, I know there's this person you're having trouble with, or who's done things to you, and you need to, to go and forgive them, or you need to go and make that right, and all of a sudden, you start to panic. Well, I just know that when I go to them, they're going to say this, and they're going to do this, and then it's going to be this, and, and you paint this elaborate picture of what's going to happen If you go and ask for forgiveness or you go and confront somebody about how they hurt you and you've got this massive scenario that keeps you awake at night and and then finally you build up the courage to go to them and they say, okay, cool, man, it's all good. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just spent a month sweating and panicking and that's all it was. Guys, that's the reality. A lot of us spend time worrying about stuff that when it does happen, it's not nearly as bad as we think. So let's step back for a moment. Number one, most of the stuff we worry about is never going to happen. Number two, if it does happen, it's probably not going to be as bad as you think. However, there is a third scenario. And sometimes, very seldom, the things that we worry about do happen. And they are as bad as we thought they would be. Or, they may even be worse than what we thought they would be. Sometimes that happens. But when it does, what do we have from Scripture? The Bible tells us that if we ever get into a situation like that, we have faith and trust that God will carry us through. We trust in the goodness, the presence, and the provision, and the peace of God, and I just believe that when we do face situations that are as bad as we thought, or maybe even worse, that you're about to experience the presence and the peace of God in a way that you never even believed was possible. Because what we discover in those moments is that oftentimes we get to know God best when we need Him most. And there may be some of you right now, you're carrying a burden that just seems too great to bear. This may be an opportunity for you to take that relationship, to take that care, to take that situation, take that fear, take everything you dread about it and take it to God and know that He cares for you. He cares about you. He's with you. That if you've got to go through it, you're going to discover Him in a way that you never have before. So why worry? even if it happens, you're going to learn things about God that are going to blow your mind. This may sound like a weird thing to say, but as a pastor, I've watched a lot of people suffer through different things. And I've seen that their suffering normally goes one of two ways. Either they get angry and bitter towards God and they blame God and their lives after that begin a downward spiral. I've seen that happen and it's tragic. But I've also seen other people who in this pain, this suffering is interjected into their lives instead of running from God they run toward God. And they begin to seek Him in a way that they never have before. And as a result, God shows up in a way that they've never seen before. And their relationship with God becomes sweeter than it ever has. And sometimes I look at those people and, and man, I sure don't envy their suffering. And I don't wish that on anybody. But I wish that I could have what they have in the moment of that suffering, was to see God in fresh and unique and unusual ways. Because as C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but He shouts to us In our pain. And in our pain, sometimes God becomes very real. And so Jesus said, instead of worrying about these things, seek God. And by the way, all the stuff you worry about, He'll provide for. Because He provides for the least of His creation, the little birds of the air. And He will provide for you. So are you worried about a lot of things this morning? Is it stealing your peace and joy? Now, I'm not saying don't be concerned. Because, guys, we look at the world around us, and we should be concerned. Amen? I'll be honest with you. I was sitting with a group of pastors this week, and we were reading some statistics about the future of the church in the United States, and it does not look good. It looks like from the statistics that the church is losing. We're losing ground quickly. And and in our nation, a lot of you are worried about what's happening. And so what can what what happens is we sit around and we start to worry and we start to panic and we, and we sit there and we're we worried about the future and we're worried about our, our country going to hell in a handbasket and the church dying and our children not knowing the Lord and Jesus and morals and all this stuff. And we look at it and we start to get worried. But, but what is that helping? What is us sitting around talking about how bad things are? What is that helping? Nothing, but should we be concerned a hundred percent, but our concern doesn't drive us to inaction, it drives us to action. While we were in Israel, Donna and I um, unfortunately that day she wasn't wasn't well and had to miss this one one experience we had, which was. Going up to Masada, if any of you have heard of Masada in Israel, it's right there uh, at the Dead Sea in a desert area, but it's actually a phenomenal place. I'll just show you, Kelly, if you will, just show that first picture. What, what, what you can see there is there's, there's cable, cable cars that go up to the top of Masada. There's a reason for that because it's a long way to get up there. But before we got there, the tour guide said, hey, you know, we're going to Masada and there's a, there's a cable car on the way up there, he said, but, but some of you may like to walk up the, up that mountain. And uh, he said, you know, so I was thinking, man, I'm going on the cable car. <laughs> well, there were these, this elderly couple sitting in front of me on the bus in their 70s, and he said, well, how many of you are going to be brave enough to walk up the mountain? And they put their hands up. So I'm sitting right behind them, and I'm like, oh, snap. I said, if they're going up, I'm going up. So I said, me too. Well, anyway, there was a group of us. Well, well you can see here. Here's the, this is at the bottom where the cable car goes off, and you can see the mountain that it's got to get to the top of there. I mean, it is a massive, grueling climb, which I didn't realize and this was the closest near-death experience I had while I was in Israel. <laughs> and I'll just show you, when we got to the top, uh, if you'll go to the next picture, Kelly, there's the guy who was sitting in front of me on the bus. His name's Marion. Marion was 72 years old, and there was at least four or five times where he said, Tim, do you need me to carry you up? I'm not joking, y'all. Look how fresh he still looks when we just got to the top. I was almost dead at this point. But he, he helped me. He kept me going. He kept me pumped up. And so we finally made it to the top. And when we got there, what, a, what an unbelievable experience. In the next picture you see there is our, our tour guide basically explaining to us. In this room here, he's talking about what happened On the top of Masada, just to give you some perspective, if you don't know about it, Masada is an immense brown crag, which is one third of a mile long on top of this mountain and 220 yards wide. And what happened was Herod the Great made a great fort on top of this mountain, and and it's interspersed with great defense towers sitting on top, right? And so he constructed this, and it was designed to withstand any siege from an enemy. So this thing's incredible, okay? They built this massive fort on top of this mountain. Well, in the year A.D. 70, Titus, a Roman emperor, ransacked the city of Jerusalem. You know, in A.D. 70, the temple got destroyed. And many of the Jews were tortured and were killed, and some of them managed to flee. Well, one of the groups that fled was some Jewish patriots under the leadership of a man named Eliezer ben Yair, and he determined that they were going to continue their fight for freedom, and so what they did, they escaped from Jerusalem, and they went to Masada, this mountain fortress that Herod the Great had built, and they made their way up to the top there. Well... For three years, the Romans fought unsuccessfully to storm this fortress. They couldn't get up to the top. For three years, the Jews held the Romans off. You can literally stand on that mount and look down where the Roman garrisons and their camps were. They've still got the foundations that you can look at it. So for three years, they looked at their enemy and they couldn't get to them. But finally, the Romans built a a dirt ramp. took them years. But they built this ramp all the way up the mountain. And they finally were able to reach the top. And so what they did was one night, they set fire to the walls, which were wooden walls. And they retreated until the next morning. And there was a breach in the wall. And the Romans came through expecting a battle. And when they got to the top, there was complete silence. And they couldn't understand what was going on. And finally, two women came out of hiding, and they explained what had happened. They said that their leader, Eleazar, had told them, if the Romans ever breach our wall, they're going to take us into captivity, where we're going to be tortured, where our children are going to be made slaves, where our women are going to be be raped by the Romans— And he said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to allow them to do that to us. So they took a pact on top of that mountain that instead of letting the Romans kill them, every father of every household would have the responsibility of killing his own family. And that's what they did. The fathers killed their wives and their children honorably, so that the Romans couldn't torture them. So when the Romans got to the top, what they discovered, is 960 dead bodies, men, women, and children. The interesting thing is, there were 10 men left at the end, because Hebrew law said you cannot commit suicide. So after these fathers had killed their, their children, there were 10 left, and they had to draw straws, So that one of them killed the other nine. And in the end, only one had to commit suicide. It was an extremely tragic event in the life of the Israelis. They remember that with great sadness and pain. When you go to the top of this mountain, there this guy, our guide, was telling us that story. In the last photo I have, this is what's pretty wild about this whole thing. Right there on the top of Masada, the man that I'm standing with there is Don Wilton. He was the leader of our, of our trip. And by the way, you wondered who paid for Donna and I to go. That's him right there. Okay, He's the one who, who paid for us to go. And so we're standing on the top of Masada. And behind us, you can see an Israeli flag that they fly on top of this mountain. And here's what they do, right? The Israeli special forces, when they have new recruits, they would take them to the top of this mountain for a swearing-in ceremony. They take them right there and they stand on the top of Masada under the Israeli flag. And the last thing that that soldier says in his pledge to his country is, Never again. What happened on this mountain will never happen again on my watch. Don't you love that? They stand right there where they were slaughtered. And these soldiers say, never again. I thought about that in this passage Jesus talked about. Because as I look at what's happening in our our culture That the church is on the decline. That we have a lot to be concerned about. I want you to know that me and the staff, we're not sitting around wringing our hands, worrying about what's going to happen. Are we concerned? Yeah, we're concerned. But let me tell you what it's doing. It's propelling us to action because we're not going to sit and watch the church die On our watch. We're saying, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to look at the things that concern us and we're going to move to action because the church is not going to die. My sons, my children, my grandchildren, they're not going to be lost to the world because I did nothing except worry about it. No, not on my watch. Not on your watch because we're not going to be passive warriors that do nothing and watch things go down. No, we're going to trust in God's provision, and we're going to move towards action. We're going to do something, because God has called us to that. My friend, a lot of you are worrying about things you can't control. And it's stealing your joy and your peace. The Bible would say, trust in your heavenly Father. Seek Him, seek Him, seek Him. And when you do, he's going to fortify you and he's going to move you to action so that you can do something with it. I want you to bow your head as we just close here this morning. I want to ask you in closing what are you worried about today? it should be showing you where you trust god the least are you willing to give that to him right now say god the things that i can't control i'm going to surrender to you and i'm going to seek you i'm going to stop worrying about them instead i'm going to give them to you lord and the things that i can can do something about it. I'm not just going to sit idly by and waste time worrying about it. Lord, my concern is going to drive me to action. So fortify me, strengthen me. Lord, give me the courage to say, not on my watch. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning, you say, Pastor, I just don't have peace at all. Is it because you've never sought God? You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never given the Prince of Peace, control over you. And perhaps today it's time to just surrender and say, Jesus, I take you as the Lord of my life. And my friend, my promise to you is when you seek Him, He will bring you that peace and that joy. But you got to seek Him. I can't do that for you. That's on you today. But will you take Him on His word? Maybe somebody's sitting here and say, Pastor, that's me. I've never sought... Jesus that we haven't made him the Lord of my life. I, maybe I walked an aisle when I was a kid, but he's not first in my life. But I want to make him that this morning. Will you pray for me here? Is there anybody that says, yes, pastor, that's me. Just quickly slip up your hand. I want to pray for you, brother. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Maybe someone else, you've got a lot of things you worried about, and you know what? It's stealing your mental health. It's stealing your joy and your peace. And You're recognizing again today, it's not God what God wants from you. He wants you to give it to Him, to seek Him first, to place that worry at His feet, to trust Him, just like the little bird who trusts the Heavenly Father every day. Is that you, my friend? Can I just see if it's you, raise your hand quickly. Some of you struggling with worry right now. Thank you, a lot of you this morning. Gracious Father, as we close out today, you've seen the hearts, the hands. Lord, you know what people are dealing with. That's no secret. Doesn't take you by surprise. What I do know, Lord, is that your promise is the gift of peace. If we will seek you first. So, Father, would you just allow those of us this morning struggling here today with this issue to take the words of Jesus to heart, to stop worrying and to seek you first because all these things will be given unto us. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we place our lives into your hand in Jesus' name. Let's stand together as we close in song. If you want to come pray at the altar this morning, please do that, and we will Pray with you as you come. Let's sing.